You're listening to a recording of a live radio show on NPR News. If you want to listen to us in real time, you can stream our show live weekday mornings at 9 a.m. Central. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Good morning. I'm Carrie Miller. This is NPR News. This hour, the most consequential political stories of the year and what they reveal about our political culture. We're entering 2019 with a leadership shuffle in state capitals across the country and at the nation's capital in D.C., But the deeply embedded rifts in our political culture are familiar and troubling, and they'll certainly influence the year ahead. Let's take the hour to look back at our most consequential political events of 2018 and talk about what they portend for 2019. And I'd like to hear from you. Was there a political event this past year that you think will be deeply, deeply influential to our political culture? I'm really not talking about just the biggest story that got all the talk on cable news, although, of course, some of our discussion will be about that as well. But was there a political event that you think in some ways influences, shapes our political culture? Tell me why. Here's the phone number, 651-227-6000, on Twitter, where I've already heard from a lot of you, it's at Carrie, K-E-R-R-I, M-P-R. Later in the hour, we'll be joined by a political scientist outside the Washington Beltway. We, we begin with our Washington insider, Ken Rudin. Hey, Ken. Good to talk to you and Happy New Year, my friend. Happy New Year to you too, Kerry. How are you? I'm good. I'm, I'm actually, well, I always look forward to the new year because I always think that the next year can't be any worse than it is this year. I'd like to think it'll be better. <laughs> I'm not convinced it will be better, but yeah. there is some optimism, yes. Yeah. Okay. And so you come to this, it sounds like, somewhat ambivalent about how we're entering 2019. Is that is that mostly because of the tumultuous nature of what's happening in Washington, or are there more reasons for that? No, I think it is that. I think it's it, it's just it's it's. I I think I've expressed all, over and over again on your program the, the the fact that the the institutions, the belief in institutions and, and government and and the media and the way things used to are used to being worked out, uh, they don't work anymore. They don't seem to work anymore. And I I mean the shutdown is a perfect example. Look, we have had shutdowns in the past, but this is just. It just seems like there's no leadership coming from anywhere, and and I think they and I think maybe the people who don't exhibit the leadership are just fine with that. They just feel that maybe this is what Americans voted for. This is what voters voted for, but it just feels like it feels just more depressing than ever because. I think I think look I think we've had I, I think I think I've thought a lot about this especially in the passing of uh, George H W Bush this year and and not that he was the greatest president ever but in in remembering what he believed in and what he wanted to accomplish and what in his heart of hearts he wanted I just don't see that kind of belief in systems and 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 institutions in today's politics, and that makes me very sad. I, I'm just going to reinforce what you said, Ken. There have been many shutdowns in many different administrations. Obama, Clinton, yep. Bush. Uh, so this is not new. But Reagan I hear briefly, right? I hear right. What I hear you saying, though, is it seems like a shrug. Meh. Who cares? Right? Just kind of a collective well, shrug. 
And I hear, and they say, well, you know something, there's not going to be another election for 23 months, so so there's no political fallout. I mean, even the fact that, what, 400,000, 800,000, whatever, uh, federal workers are going to go without pay, well, you know, there'll be retroactive pay, so it's not a big deal. And as we learned in 2013, when the Republicans shut down the government over the Affordable Care Act, led by Ted Cruz, the feeling was, well, the Republicans will pay a political price. And of course, in 2014, um, the Republicans picked up, you know, they won control of the Senate and gained in the House. So there was no political fallout. There was no uh, political price anybody had to pay. And I don't think, I I mean, given the fact, I mean, remarkably how Donald Trump went from, okay, I will support the temporary resolution, the continuing resolution to keep the government funded through February. And then when he got such tremendous blowback (sighs) from his conservative allies, he said, well, I'm shutting down the government. I think, of course, it's I I think you've put your finger on kind of what I'm going for here with consequential political events. Right. That's that it's not just the outcome. It's the way that happens. So. That's so can't, that's, that's perfect. Yeah. So so let me go to some calls here because I, our listeners are zeroed right in on this kind of thing too. By the way, Joe on Twitter is with you. The midterm elections, Democrats recruited a crazy good slate of first-time candidates that beat back a congressional map that's been altered to favor the GOP, and they won big. Uh, to the phones to Pete in Minneapolis. So Pete, as it comes to consequential political events, where do you come down on that? Um, well, first, uh, Sam, I'm kind of starstruck to be on the phone with you. But I <laughs> I'm would glad say you that, uh, <laughs> You know, by the way, Kerry tells me that all the time. Oh, all the time. I'm sure she does. Yeah. Um, so I would, I would say that uh, the vote in Florida, the referendum to give uh, felons the right to vote, Excellent. I think is part of a larger uh, thing where I think among voters, this idea of voter suppression is becoming more salient and maybe – Voting rights activists are starting to win the narrative a little bit in terms of voter fraud versus voter, uh, what is that word? Suppression. Yeah. And I take my response. Oh, go ahead. I I am so glad you called. This is perfect. It's right in line with what I'm, you know, it's got a lot of coverage, but when you dig down to the repercussions of this vote in Florida and what it may mean across the country, you've put your finger right on it. Ken, what can you say about that? Oh, my goodness. I'm feeling exactly what you're saying, Kerry, because as Pete was saying, talking about that that referendum in Florida, I don't really think it got that much attention because everybody's talking about, oh, well, you know, that, that Andrew Gillum race oh, for governor. And, and what about Stacey Abrams and, and Beto O'Rourke and all these these things? But absolutely one of the untold stories, uh, or at least not told enough is the acts of voter suppression, doing everything they can to suppress the vote, to limit the ability to vote, you know, uh, you know, uh, um, early voting, uh, um, uh, late, the same day registration. Uh, You need a a certain IDs to vote. Since since the uh, Supreme Court uh, decision, I guess it was 2013, but especially since the Republicans won so many state legislatures in 2010, there have been more and more, and also that the Supreme Court removed the protections of the Voting Rights Act for many states in the South to protect the, the right to vote. More and more legislatures have done whatever they can to limit the amount to vote. So so when you have somebody like Brian Kemp, elected governor of Georgia, as he's, as he's, as he's doing whatever he can to limit those able to vote, 
uh, for or against them. It's just remarkable. So I think the Florida referendum that allows felons to to, to vote because heretofore they've been uh, uh, barred from doing so, this is... And again, it's not because it'll help the Democrats. I think it'll just help democracy, just what small it's, d democracy. But what it what it right? also says about how our political culture is changing, our views on criminal justice, right? What's happening in Washington with the president on criminal justice reform? It's all an indication that we are finally, I, I, what, becoming a little more enlightened about this, Ken. And that's at the core of a changing political culture. So that's good. Yeah, I'm not as... I'm not as optimistic as you are. I don't think we've finally reached the point where we're, where, you know, the, the Howard Beale story, where I'm not going to, I'm sick and tired of this and I'm not going to take it anymore, as he said in Network. But, uh, but at least, at least the Florida vote seems to be heading on the right track. Ken Rudin with us for the first part of this uh, year end conversation about the most consequential political events of the year. Pete called to talk about this vote in Florida that restore, and it was a ballot referendum to restore voting rights yep. to convicted felons. So I'd like to hear from you this morning. What is, what is the political event, the political occurrence that you think is deeply influ- influential to our political culture. We're hearing on Twitter people talking about the midterm elections. I believe it was the Kavanaugh hearings and Dr. Ford's testimony, and we'll talk a little bit about that. But I want to hear from you. 651-227-6800-242-2828. On Twitter, at Kerry, K-E-R-R-I, NPR to Jason in Forest Lake. Hi, Jason. What would you put in the mix here? Well, you know, I, I, it might be just slightly off topic, and I apologize for that. But, you know, I'm just confused as to what's happening in the media today with this border wall and the government shutdown and why people have forgotten that Donald Trump asked Mexico to pay for that. He essentially promised that Mexico would pay for that. But he's not really being, you know, his feet isn't, you know, being held to the fire on that. Well, he just renegotiated NAFTA. He didn't include the border wall in that. Why are we forgetting that he said Mexico would pay for that? And why is he not paying a political price for that? Yeah, I don't, I don't think you're off topic because, Ken, I would argue that the the changing narrative on this border wall and what's happening at the border has been deeply consequential. And we're seeing the political culture in Washington pushed back because the president, even though Republicans are still running the show in the House and Senate until Nancy Pelosi sworn in, is does not have the votes to get the billions that he wants for the border wall. What would you add? Oh, wow. Well, see, the thing what I love about this is that, you know, I, I agree that J- I understand Jason's argument that his his feet are not being held to the fire. I, I, I mean, every story about the uh, about the uh, shutdown always starts with the fact that Donald Trump ran for president, promising, guaranteeing, guaranteeing that Mexico would pay for the wall. I mean, that was I mean, just the way he the way he when he wakes up now, he says, good morning. There's no collusion. You know, in his first words, when he wakes up, his first words had always <laughs> been that Mexico pays for the wall. So he said that for years. And then when that wasn't the case. Then, of course, that famous meeting, uh, I guess, a couple of Thursdays ago or Wednesdays ago in the Oval Office with uh, with Chuck Schumer and uh, Nancy Pelosi and the deeply silent Mike Pence, where the president said, uh, oh, look, 
I am taking responsibility for it. I am taking the mantle. I didn't know didn't know he was a Yankees fan, but I am going to take the mantle of responsibility for the government shutdown. And then two days later, he tweets, "The Democrats own it." I mean, it, it's so it's so mind-boggling that he'll just switch on a dime like that, and everybody—not everybody, but at least his supporters. Go along and say, well, it's completely normal because that makes complete sense. I mean, he was backing this 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 continuing resolution bill until he wasn't. He was backing a full immediate pullout of, of, of U.S. troops from Syria until he wasn't. Until Lindsey Graham said you shouldn't do this, he said, oh, okay. And this <laughs> I mean, this is a his, this is lost. a big political story, Ken. I, I want to make sure there's there are larger conclusions to be figured out from what you're saying. The I'm for it until I'm against it 24 hours later. I mean, that is affecting our political culture and the sense of leadership in D.C., not just in the Oval Office, but beyond. It, it absolutely. This this guy was going to drain the swamp and, and, and he and think of the people, the, 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 the Scott Pruitts and the Ryan Zinkies he, he's brought into the administration all of whom have left under a cloud. Think of the Michael Cohns and the Paul Manaforts and the Michael Flynn's who either pled guilty, pleaded guilty to the FBI, or 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 have been found guilty, as in with Manafort. I mean, think of what's going on. Um, it's the, the but the one of the big differences uh, between the president now and another president whose name I will not mention on your show <laughs> ever again. <laughs> Is that you don't have to. We all know size... you're talking about Nixon. <laughs> oh, is that who I meant? Oh, well, but 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 the fact is, like, there is a sizable contingent of, of this new media: the Fox and Friends, the the, the Breitbart's, the the, the 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 Internet, the uh, Alex Jones. There are people out there. I don't know if they're in the shadows or under the bed or whatever, but there are a lot of people who have been doing whatever they can to prop up this. What I say is just, you know, it's just well, a deterioration of values. And, and, uh, I, think and that I think that's what gets him. It's a conversation for another day, because I would say yeah, they're okay. not just propping up. They support. But but let's right. let's oh, yeah, table yeah. that for for another okay. discussion. I want to talk okay. a bit about Kavanaugh and Ford, Ken. And I'm glad you said that. Even though it happened in October, uh, it feels like it was, you know, just months and months and months ago. So here's a little bit of a rewind on uh, uh, Dr. Blasey Ford's testimony and Brett Kavanaugh, now Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh's testimony. I am here today not because I want to be. I am terrified. I am here because I believe it is my civic duty to tell you what happened to me while Brett Kavanaugh and I were in high school. My family and my name have been totally and permanently destroyed. I was not at the party described by Dr. Ford. This confirmation process has become a national disgrace. This is a circus. I'd say not just because he ended up going on to the U.S. Supreme Court, which of course will have repercussions because he's going to be a justice for many years, but what this exposed, what this showed Americans about who we are and the way our politics works in Washington uh, is is just deeply influential. Uh, and 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 Ken, you've had a little bit of time now to to kind of figure out what this all means. What do you think? 
Well, I'm glad you I'm, I'm so glad you picked those bites because on my political junkie program, which comes out on Thursday, which is also a review of the year, those are the exact bites I pulled. But let me add one more. I mean, look, the country was split on whether they believe Christine Blasey Ford or not. I understand that. I mean, I happen to have a certain view, but a lot of people said that a lot of people agreed with Kavanaugh that she was a, a dupe for the Democrats and a, you know, and a shill for the Clintons, blah, blah, blah. But what happened shortly afterwards, not long afterwards, I think it was in Mississippi where President Trump is at a campaign rally and he's basically mocking Christine Blasey Ford. Where were you? I don't know. How many drinks do you have? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, he was just mocking her and the audience in the Roman Coliseum were cheering. (laughs) They were standing up and cheering every insulting and embarrassing and humiliation that Donald Trump would throw at Christine Blasey Ford, who, as you heard from her testimony, was you know it was all personal. It was it was it, she didn't enjoy this. I mean, to say the least. And yet he mocked her mercilessly, and the crowd ate it up. And to me, when I think of Blasey Ford uh, versus Kavanaugh in that very you know that that replay of Hill versus Thomas, it was the Trump rally oh, and the yeah. reaction to it that will always stick with my mind. You know, your description of the Roman Coliseum, that's excellent, Ken. That also says something about our political culture. It, it's it it's um, edgy and corrosive Ang- and mean angry. and mob yeah. kind of inspired. You see it on social media. You see it in these huge gatherings. Uh, and I think when you know, when we get a look at that, we hold the mirror up to that. It's not especially attractive to who we I are. I agree completely. And I think that's one of the reasons why the passings of George Bush and John McCain affected me. Look, they were imperfect men without question. They did some policies in office or votes that, that I just abhorred. But I think there was a decency and a civility and a, and a dignity to them that were that is so sadly lacking. And when it, with a new Senate, without McCain, without Bob Corker, without Jeff Flake, I don't know. I mean, look, look, the, the Democrats have the House, but, you know, you're not going to get anything done unless it passes the Senate as well. So it'll be nice to have a Democratic echo chamber in the House for a while. But ultimately, what does it mean? It doesn't yeah. mean maybe that the House and Senate just continue fighting until 2020. It's very discouraging. Speaking of which, now that you've mentioned the House going Democratic, I, j- I just have a little bit of sound of Nancy Pelosi on the day that she was announced, uh, that, you know, that they've got the majority. Here's how she's kind of shaping the agenda. Listen. Today is more than about Democrats and Republicans. It's about restoring the Constitution's checks and balances to the Trump administration. It's about stopping the GOP and Mitch McConnell's assaults on Medicare, Medicaid, the Affordable Care Act, and the health care of 130 million Americans living with pre-existing medical conditions. Nancy Pelosi, she'll be sworn in as the speaker uh, in, what, about a week? Later this week? No, j- uh, January 7th, I think, Ken, yes? January 3rd, I think. January oh, okay, 3rd the 3rd. All right, later this week. I think so. Ken Rudin with us, the political junkie, for the first part of this conversation. We're talking about consequential political events of 2018, not the biggest stories. That's I leave that to cable news. I really want to talk about the consequential political events and how it's shaping or showing us or revealing our political culture. 651 227 
800-242-2828 on Twitter at Carrie NPR, where Matthew says, I don't think there's enough time. Obviously, Kavanaugh is big, but the environmental law rollbacks will be far reaching into our children's lives. Really good point there to Cynthia in uh, Buffalo. Hi, Cynthia. What are you thinking about as consequential political events? Well, I think there's going to be some some blowback somehow. I when Mr. Bush passed away, it seemed it seemed well. I know he hasn't been president for quite some time, but he was a gentleman. And whether you are a Republican, Democrat, grassroots, whatever, he had a kind of um, atmosphere about him that was kind. And I think the way that we handle ourselves now in the Senate and during protests and all this kind of stuff, it's just gotten way out of hand. And I think it's shown true colors of some people. When I heard the story about senators being cornered in the elevators by angry kids, you know, regardless of what the message was, it was, are, are people in office not even safe anymore because people are so angry? Yeah. It scares me and it makes me sad. I, I just think that gentility needs to come back. I really do. I really appreciate the call, Cynthia. I was reading the uh, I was skimming through a story in the at the in the Atlantic by Charles Duhigg that I think we're going to do a show on. And the cover says, why are we so angry? Ken, she's put her finger on something that is definitely influencing our political culture that I think of a lot of Americans experience and worry about at the same time. A lot of us are angry and yet we're worried about the fact of that. Yeah, I don't know what's worse, resignation to what's going on uh, 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 you know, in government or the anger that we feel. Neither one is a positive thing, and, and may, I don't know what, what good comes out of it, if something good comes out of it at all. But the fact is, and, and I, like the, I like the fact that Cynthia led with, started talking about George Bush, because for all, look, yes, we remember Willie Horton, and yes, we remember the attacks on Michael Dukakis' patriotism. I am not going to say that... George Bush was a perfect person, but but as I've said over and over again, there was he believed in the, the civility and dignity, and when even when he, when you know the famous line of "Read my lips, no new taxes" at the '88 convention, and then in 1990 when the deficits were getting out of control, he 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 bit back, he, you know he 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 reversed himself completely and said, look, I know this is not smart for me politically. <laughs> and ultimately it was not. It It led to a Pat Buchanan challenge. It led to uh, Newt King, the rise of Newt Gingrich. But he felt it was the right thing to do for the country. And so he admitted a mistake. The thought of elite leaders today admitting mistakes is so antithetical to everything we've seen for the past two years. And, and I think, again, you know, watching Alan Simpson and watching John Meacham and the others praise what George Bush meant to the country. Mm -hmm. um, and sometimes, look, sometimes we need to reflect on a, a somebody's life before we realize that there may, be, there may have been goodness to that person that we may not have seen at the time. Bill says on Twitter, number one, the Parkland shooting. Change the debate Ugh. on gun control. Excellent uh, observation there, Bill. And secondarily, along with uh, Mademoiselle Boutina, weakening of the NRA. He's talking about the the woman who is a, what, accused Russian spy. Uh, and then he adds in a second tweet, number two, GOP denying voter mandates in Wisconsin, Michigan, Utah, 
and Florida, weakening of governor's powers and reversal of referendums. Let me grab a call here from Ralph in Woodbury. Hey, Ralph, what would you say is consequential in 2018 politically? Hey, thank, thank you very much for this uh, for this conversation. Uh, to me, the overarching issue is one that uh, I work a lot with junior high and senior high students. Mm-hmm. And I have to say that um, they will be political voters at some time in the future. They are seeing um, the lack of truth and the ability to cover up statements as a working of our political system. I think that the uh, the alternate fact era that we're in now uh, confuses people, especially young people who will be voters. But the, the fact that our president can tell 15 falsehoods a day to make one statement, go back on it, as, as it's not been said, is is an overarching issue for the value of truth or the unvalue of truth in our political process. That's a really, really good point. And boy, talk about having repercussions for our political culture, Ralph. I mean, as you're saying, these are future voters. We, we hope they are future representatives in our governments. And what are they learning about the way government works? Ralph, are you there? Are you? Okay. No, I'm sorry. I missed what you just said. Yes. Can you hear me? Yeah, I, go I ahead. I think that uh, they're learning that truth has a very little value. What do you think, Ken? Oh, this, this breaks my heart, and I and I don't think Ralph is off at all. I mean, I mean, if you look, I think it was the front page of today's Washington Post where Glenn Kessler, the uh, the guy who does the, uh, the 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 Pinocchio checks on politicians, t- talked about the thousands and thousands of of alternate facts and, of course, a word that many journalists don't like to use, but lies that the president said. And not only will he say these lies, but he'll 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 repeat them over and over again. Stats that are completely not true. And but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that they're not true because nobody seems to care. And so so, I mean, look, maybe we're all maybe something will happen in 2020 that will justify all our anguish these past two years and, of course, ultimately four years by 2020. But right now, the fact that that people will just spout out things that are completely not true and a sizable number of the country, including cable news, will support. And it's just and, you know, we talk about whether these kids, you know, Ralph's kids will ever enter politics. Why? I mean, why? I don't know. I mean, do you want to be abused and ashamed? And and I mean, the the the, the you know, for example, Elizabeth Warren announced a uh, mm-hmm. um, um, exploratory committee today, which is basically I, she's running for president. Yeah. Yeah. Well, of course. I mean, not a surprise. But this the the, the snarkiness I've read on social media this morning alone is just well, not flabbergasting because it's something I expect, but it's just so. It just look look. Look, I'm old enough to remember when Uh-oh. Bobby Kennedy ah. got into the race in 68, when he said he wouldn't, when he would support Lyndon Johnson and got in. And so many Gene McCarthy people felt he was a sellout and a liar and an opportunist. So we've seen this before, but but never have I seen so many candidates just being attacked for for just being, it, it, look, it's an us against them uh, uh, mindset in this country that that doesn't benefit anybody. And but I don't know, does it change after Trump leaves? And does Trump ever leave? So I don't, I just don't know the answer. I'm not. I hate going into a year with such worry and and dread and 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 pessimism. And yet 
that's how I find myself going into 2019. Ken, I will meet again with you on January 7th, right? On Monday, Happy New Year, New Carrie, Year. and, and your you. audience, as always, is the best. Yeah, thanks. Thank you, Ken. You just heard a recording of a live radio show from NPR News. You can add your voice to the discussion by calling in at 800-242-2828 or tweeting us at Carrie, K-E-R-R-I, NPR. To hear more conversations like this, subscribe to our podcast. And thanks.